Jamie, nothing's happened yet. Oh, have you no sense? Have you forgotten what we saw in that time scanner? Don't. It was horrible. Right, well, I'm not being left without nothing to defend ourselves with. I'm afraid you're wasting your time, Jamie. Why? Unless I'm very much mistaken, these creatures are so big, they're going to see us long before we see them. Look out, Jamie! Welcome to Who Worth Watching, where we're exploring this classic series from the beginning to see what's still worth watching for a modern audience. Today, we're talking about the 1967 story, The Macra Terror. I'm your host, and I prefer my crabs to be in the form of cakes. <laughs> my co-host is Guy, who insists that he's never had crabs, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. In my crabs, I prefer to be in the form of rangoons. <laughs> If that's a word you can use by itself, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I do a I do a nice crab rangoon. Right I'll have to do that for it sometime. Ah, very good. So, some context for this story. Um, for this episode or this story, beginning with this story, they added a new intro animations. Um, you know, they changed up the theme animation, and they have Trouton's face appear in it, which that never happened with Hartnell. I noticed that the little trails that we see, instead of being the effects that we've grown used to, they're a similar effect, but now it looks like they're actually done with computer graphics. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it was. I mean, that's way before they could see CGI, but you know, maybe it was something a little. Oh more yeah, advanced. I think it's for the animation. I don't oh, think this the was the actual nineteen sixties. It looks to me like they used the actual background animation. They just put his face on top of it. And it's amusing that they put his animated face on top of it because that's where his real face would be in the regular episode. So that was kind of kind of clever. <laughs> and going into this, the only thing I knew about it, it's, it's an episode that really, or a story that really not much is known about it. The only thing I knew about it is that there were these claw creatures. And there is a story... Decades later, where they play a minor appearance, but other than that, they've kind of kind of disappeared. And I will tell you, I really wasn't expecting what this story is actually about. <laughs> so, really? Yeah. Very good. Yeah, well, it may not be too much of a shock to reveal that uh, there are giant crab creatures, which <laughs> is what we saw a claw on the scanner, mm -hmm. and I speculated it might just be a little pet hermit crab or something, but... No, the scanner did what it was uh, meant to do. It showed you what's going on. <laughs> Amusingly, they built, it was like a room-sized thing for these. So the uh, I had to send you a picture of something. So the crab legs were like 10 feet long and stuff. I mean, these were really massive. Huh. Okay, well, we'll just head right into episode one. All right. So a little bit unusually, at least in the animated version, we don't start out directly with a recap from the last episode. Instead, we see the TARDIS floating in space above a planet. Then we head into the recap in which the doctor decides to use the time scanner to look into the future, something we've never heard of before. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, on the monitor when he does this, Polly is freaked out by what last week I thought was a giant lobster arm, but it turns out to be a crab, which is a totally different culinary matter. <laughs> 
And uh, then we pan across a room and close in on a door. And one of the things I'll say, I mean, I have I, I, the animation grew on me. I initially wasn't too happy with it for some reasons, but over time, I thought it was pretty good. One of the things I will say is that they put a lot of work into the directing of it. You know, they're closing in on things, they're moving across things, or you know, there, there's a lot of uh, flourishes uh, they do that they didn't have yeah, to. Yeah, there's a few things I like about it. I like, you know, there are a lot of little subtle facial movements, things mm. like that. It's at a pretty high frame rate, I thought. I don't know exactly, but it's not like you're typical anime type thing where you get like six right. frames a second or whatever it is. They're actually, uh, it's actually pretty smooth, I thought. And we've seen this before, probably by the same studio in past animations where the characters look almost exactly like they could have appeared in an episode of Archer, <laughs> which I, I enjoy and think it has a good animation style. So uh, a lot of good things I had to think about the uh, animation. Yeah, I was annoyed because at first I thought Polly didn't look at all like Polly, and she's blonde, I which I don't remember that. her being blonde before. Well, then I looked up shots from the F story, and it does look like her. They made her blonde, and it pretty much does look like mm -hmm. her. The issue I had with the animation is that the lines are kind of thin, and I'm watching it on a very high-resolution like laptop, right? And... With the lines being that thin, there's this kind of um, shimmery effect that occurs sometimes where, you know, it's just not working at that resolution. Oh. Uh, which, like the last one we saw, the moon base, didn't have that problem. I mean, that actually, we didn't really talk about the animation in that episode, but they did really good animation. They didn't have that problem because they had sort of thicker lines, so you didn't have that, that you know. Yeah, yeah, the the moon base animation was uh was good although I think it was definitely a different uh different studio that yeah. did it. Um, and I I personally think overall I prefer this studio's stuff. Yeah, so I'd say it's pretty good. That was my only issue was just kind of the thin lines didn't work too well on a higher resolution thing. But other than that, it, yeah. it you know, it won me over over time with a lot of expressiveness mm -hmm. in the characters and such. Yeah. So we pan across a room and close in on a door and a bearded man comes through the door and he's very cautious and he looks at a huge screen on the wall showing a well-chiseled face that doesn't move or say anything. <laughs> and then he runs. Yeah, it's a lot like, uh, you know, you've seen the, the 1984 book mm. covers with the posters of Big Brother. It's yeah. kind of like that, except this is more like your clean-cut, uh, you know, Van Johnson type than, uh, you know, Big Brother. Yeah, but Stalin this story and, uh, is absolutely 1984, and that's what kind of I wasn't expecting, right? I mean, it's, I think it's a little bit of a combination of 1984 and Brave New World, because there's, as we see in the next Yeah, scene, I actually put that in my notes later on. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we have this big unmoving guy, and that'll become an important plot point. But next, we see a big hall with cheerleader-style dancers, and we hear this creepy dance music, uh, and uh, uh. people are oh yeah milling around and talking, and you know the the music is all this very upbeat sort of you know how you should be happy and all this, which that's where I feel like that kind of comes from Brave New World, right? Because they had that sort of thing. Oh sure, it's kind of 
kind of catchy, but also very uh, cheesy and uh, <laughs> and creepy also. So yeah, yeah, a lot of a lot of c words there. <laughs> And a man called the pilot comes in, and the pilot is going to play a huge role throughout the story, although we never understand why he's called the pilot, uh, other than I guess maybe he guides the whole, you know, settlement. Well, or something. I, th- I think later on we find out that this colony was founded a long time ago, and maybe when it was founded, the person who founded it had been the actual pilot who brought them there. That's, that's my guess. Could be. <laughs> So he compliments the band and he, you know, makes several bland encouragements such as if you don't succeed, try, try again. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. They, uh, they have a lot of, uh, workplace cliches type things. Yeah. You, know, the, uh, <laughs> you know that they all have that, uh, I'm hanging in there, whatever, uh, poster, you know. <laughs> the oh yeah. The cat hanging on a limb. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then the guy we saw earlier, Madoc. Um, he's the bearded guy, runs through the room, and the head of security, Ola, sends guards after him. <laughs> it took me an episode or two to figure out who Ola was, because I saw Ola in the credits, and I thought it was a woman. I was like, what woman is that referring nah. to? <laughs> <laughs> um, this is not a story where women play a role other than Polly. So. Not much, no. And uh, Ola is a fun character to look at, because uh, he's a... Uh, uh, kind of an overweight guy. He's got a big gap in his front teeth. Uh, he's got this, uh, I don't know, his eyebrows and hair remind me of almost of like the, uh, not quite, but almost of the Mintats from the David Lynch version <laughs> of Dune. Yeah, he's a, he's a striking figure in his own way and uh, a real jerk also. <laughs> Next, we see an alien sand-filled landscape, and Madoc is running through it, and the guards are following him, and he hides behind a sand dune, and the TARDIS materializes nearby. The TARDIS always knows where to where to materialize to find yeah. trouble. And I didn't mention it when you mentioned that scene of the TARDIS hovering over the planet, because mm-hmm. uh, I think I was drinking some wine or something, <laughs> but... Uh, uh, that was a pretty striking scene, you know, because mm-hmm. it's just like the this police box floating there in the middle of space and the way they drew it and sort of put in a little subtle drifting in there. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I thought it was a pretty effective little Yeah, and scene I think it's rotating, it. and usually when it's seen in space, it's rotating. And, uh, and, and later on, I mean, this actually brings up a, a question, right, about how it travels because – Sometimes it is presented as sort of rotating and flying through space as it is here. And other times, and and in fact, but later in the story, one of the episodes, the doctor says it's more accurate to say that it doesn't land, it materializes, right? Well, if you materialize, that's more of the Star Trek kind of thing versus flying through space, right? So uh, I think Mm -hmm. they do it, you know, whichever way they feel like (laughs) at the time. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Because instead of doing everything in one jump, this this suggests that this time it took at least two jumps, you know, to yeah. the two over the planet and then two on the planet. Yep. And after the TARDIS materializes, Jamie exits and he's carrying a big branch because apparently he's worried about, you know, whatever claw thing they saw on the monitor. Although I'm not quite sure where he got a big branch in the TARDIS, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> And Ben comes out and intentionally scares him by putting his arm on his shoulder from behind. 
And then Madoc shows up and Ben tackles him and the crew secures him because they don't know who he is. Uh, but meanwhile, Ola and his guards appear and they're happy that the crew has secured him and they thank him for subduing him. And the doctor tells the crew that he believes they are in the future. And I'm saying, like, what does that mean when you're a time traveler, right? I think <laughs> he's just trying to tell the 1967 TV viewers that it's that it's later than that. But uh, And he does a taste test of his finger that indicates that this atmosphere is very like Earth. So, I'm, so you know, in past times, even under Hartnell, they would check the scanners before they went outside to make sure that it had a breathable atmosphere. I guess that's kind of gone out the window now. <laughs> walk out and see what happens. You know? And one of the characters, when he does that, one of the characters asks him, how, 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 do you, how can you tell that? And he says something like, oh, I'm just guessing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so Ola introduces himself to the crew, tells him he takes his instructions from the control center and asks them to follow him. And in the pilot's office... Um, you know, there's a loudspeaker spouting happy songs. So I think like North Korea yeah. is one of those places where there's always songs playing. Oh, yeah. If I remember right, this song was a shift change. It was like, thank you, shift one. You know, you can go <laughs> to bed now. Thank you, shift two, for coming on duty. <laughs> so Ola brings the crew to the pilot, and the pilot thanks them for handling someone as disturbed as Madoc. And then the doctor, hearing the music, says, well, this is gay. <laughs> yeah, I, I probably agree. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, uh, <laughs> in 2023, the doctor still might say that same thing. <laughs> the pilot says they regulate their day by music, and I'm just like, kill me now. <laughs> I'm serious. I don't. I don't know how I could live in a place in North Korea and all the stuff they do, and the you know the speakers going all the time and all that. Oh yeah. Well, I've been playing cyberpunk a lot recently, and you're bombarded by advertising. You know, everywhere you go, you're walking down a city street, you get five different <laughs> television screens playing loud advertisements and announcements and stuff, and it's it's fun in the context of the game, but it also sometimes you're just like, God, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> So on a large screen, well, the pilot takes them to another room. There's a large screen on the wall, and they see the controller, uh, you know, the still photo, and Polly describes him as smashing. (laughs) 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 And the controller welcomes the crew and tells everyone to get back to work. Um, You know, can't wait to meet this controller, dude. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And so far, we've only seen still photo, just that still photo. Yep. Now the pilot leaves the crew with Barney, uh, who offers them various spa treatments. <laughs> you know, sounds like a pretty good place. Oh, we have steam baths and beauty treatments, et cetera. So it seems yeah. like it landed in a pretty good place. Yeah, I wonder what kind of music they play in the spa. <laughs> I, uh, I bet it's not very different from what you get elsewhere. And Barney says to the doctor, and you, sir, of course, would like your clothes cleaned, which, you know, offends the doctor. <laughs> And we see guards escorting Madoc through a room while Ola warns everyone that Madoc suffers from delusions. And one of the citizens in the room says Madoc has been a good friend. You know, he can't believe there's a problem. He asks Madoc what's up. And Madoc tells him the colony is infested creatures, terrible things. (laughs) Doesn't sound at all like delicious seafood to me, but we'll see. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, these these creatures have a slightly different diet, so they might not be as tasty as we might hope <laughs> from their looks. The controller dude on the big screen breaks in and tells everyone to get back to work and says there's going to be a reception for the strangers. And the crowd in the room wants Madoc to join them in the fun, but he yells, have fun while you can before they crawl all over you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Madoc is escorted to a cell. The doctor sneaks in as he's curious about him. And he frees him from his handcuffs. And he asks if these things he sees crawl slowly over the ground. And like, look, this, is, this goes back to what we talked about in so many, not only Doctor Who, but other movies where, you know, there's somebody who understands everything that's going on. Like, the doctor's been here five minutes. He has no reason to <laughs> know what's going on other than them seeing some claws on the monitor. Yeah, he yeah. did get that claw on the monitor. Yeah. I think that may have tipped him off. <laughs> Madoc freaks out and runs out of the room past Barney. And Ola arrives and insists the doctor must be arrested. The doctor points out that, you know, he just set free Madoc, who he originally captured. So they can't really do anything. And I'm like, you know, I'm not sure it's a good legal argument. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um, the legal system here seems very... For for what seems to be sort of a totalitarian society, the legal system seems un, unusually laid back in many respects. <laughs> yeah, and along those lines, the pilot is there and he supports the doctor's point. Well, you know, he did originally capture him, so it's okay that he freed him. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then the doctor says kind of weirdly that Medoc is running away, not crawling over the ground. And... No one, you know, necessarily knows what he's talking about. Actually, I'm wrong, because the, when he says that, it upsets the pilot, who says anyone who spreads that kind of rumor will find himself in the hospital for a correction. Mm -hmm. So there's some problem with talking about those sorts of things. Yeah, and I think even at this point, we've had a few lines of dialogue that suggest that this Madoc isn't the only person who has who has had these delusions. <laughs> And the pilot tells Ola to take the strangers to the labor center so they can learn more about the colony. <laughs> and in a computer room, the controller appears on a screen and says there's no need for alarm, but Medoc has escaped, but he'll be captured by dark. Everyone should return to their work with renewed heart and energy. <laughs> Very reassuring <laughs> message. There. Oh, yeah. And the crew is being escorted around, and then they're told that the colony taps and refines gas, not for heating, but for many things. The colony depends on it, so they don't they don't really say what the gas is for. Mm -hmm. And then there's some kind of oxygen supply emergency, and during that, the doctor sneaks off and finds Madoc again in hiding and says he wants to hear more from him. And the doctor asks if he's seen these creatures clearly. And Madoc says, they move at night, in the dark, look horrible, like giant insects. And a few others have seen them, but they all got locked up in the correction hospital. And the crew wonders where the doctor is, and he appears playing his recorder. So, yay, his recorder is back. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't bug me too much in this Yeah, way. you don't hear it too much. <laughs> and then the loudspeakers declare a curfew. And the visitors are to retire for the night to the refreshing department, you know, which sounds pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I wish my workplace had one of those. <laughs> so the doctor then slips out of his room in the refreshing department and wanders around. 
And Olan, the guards, are wandering around looking for Madoc, and they're going to shoot to kill. But the doctor finds Madoc for, I don't know, like the third time in this episode. <laughs> he's finding him. And while he's talking to him, they see a crab-like creature with lit-up eyes approaching. And it's the end of the episode. And it's, it's a big guy, too. Yeah. It's it's like uh, you know, the size of a van or something. <laughs> yep. That's the end of the episode. Yeah. So episode two starts off with uh, the doctor and Madoc uh, talking. They're they're in a partly constructed building on a construction site here, and uh, Madoc is talking, and he's he's not even trying to be quiet talking to the doctor, even though he knows the guards are after him, because he feels this is his vindication. While well, we both saw it, surely they've got to listen hmm. now. Yeah, fat chance. Ola hears him talking, comes over, and doesn't believe him, of course. Uh, and the doctor's here, too, so they're both getting taken by the guards and Ola to the pilot's office. And the pilot requests to see the stranger, the doctor, first. They may have a pleasant little chat in some ways, but uh, but the pilot tells the doctor that he's committed a serious crime because he's been associating with this with this fugitive. But then Ola calls up on the intercom. He says, Madoc has made a statement that completely changes the situation. When Madoc testifies that the doctor wasn't helping me, he was trying to make me give myself up. <laughs> and that's not necessarily what the doctor was doing, uh, but he realizes that uh, as long as he can stay free for now. That gives him a better chance of getting to the bottom mm. of all this. So he, he plays along. And Madoc will be taken to the correctional hospital. And the pilot's optimistic that he'll get all fixed up and come back and be a productive member of society. And the pilot explains uh, the history of the colony just a little bit. He says, this colony was founded many centuries ago by our ancestors who came from the Earth planet. He says, uh, our ancestors believed in the virtues of healthy happiness, and we have tried to keep their ideals alive. And, uh, you know, I've never seen it, but uh, there was a movie called The Road to Wellville that I believe was about the, the, the Kellogg family, and there was some, some branch of the Kellogg family that, you know, was very much into that whole healthy happiness thing. So that sort of, sort of came to mind. <laughs> we might have talked about it before, but, I mean, it's really weird if you dive into that. I, I haven't seen that movie, but uh, if you dive into the history of that, because Kellogg's and the cereal was all about keeping young boys from uh, having self-satisfaction. <laughs> so, oh, or self-abuse is yeah, some color. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> so it's, it's really weird uh, when you get into it. <laughs> huh. You know, I've I've eaten a lot of oatmeal and stuff in my day, but that never really uh, <laughs> dampened my libido that I can recall. <laughs> different well, strokes for oatmeal. different folks, I guess. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm afraid that you were eating the wrong thing because, you know, Kellogg's uh, flakes are very different from oatmeal, so that, that okay. may have been your problem. Uh, very, very different, yeah. yeah. Flakes, oats, diff completely different. <laughs> So anyway, healthy happiness is the premise of this, uh, and, th and that's why we have all this cheerful music and mm. so forth and so on. 
the doctor the doctor leaves still a free man and again on the telescreen we see the uh, the still uh, the telescreen is a 1984 term for it of course but it's that's basically what it is uh, i presume it's a the con- whoever is using the uh telescreen the controller or whoever i presume they can see through it to the people on the other side um but we see this still photo of the controller handsome guy that he is who uh, orders that the strangers, now that they're all gone to bed, gone to the refreshing department, uh, they be given the advantage of high-powered adaption at once, <laughs> which is a nice term for brainwashing. So the pilot issues the order uh, to implement that. The controller approves, but he gives a little uh, little mini-lecture, and he grows Shriller and shriller as he continues with it. You know, he says, uh, control must be believed and obeyed. No one on the colony believes in macra. There is no <laughs> such thing as macra. Macra do not exist. There are no macra. And, uh, to me, it didn't exactly inspire confidence. But, well, of course, we've already seen the macra at this point. But yeah. So uh, maybe the controller uh, isn't completely... Uh, forthcoming with everything he knows. <laughs> so in one of the bedrooms in the refreshing department, Jamie and Ben are in there. They're both asleep, and they're listening to this voice, this hypnotic audio that's saying things like, uh, this colony will make us all happy and work hard and so forth, you know, and uh, which is similar in many ways to in Brave New World. There were scenes of... Uh, at least in the book. I don't know that I've ever seen a... There have been various video adaptations of it, but I don't know that I've ever actually seen them. Uh, but in the in the book, you know, the uh, the growing kids are broadcast these uh, these suggestion messages, uh, you know, that... And, and they, of course, in that book, they're all in different classes. So, you know, they're all separated in their sleeping quarters by their their level of genetic uh, advancement. So they might say things like, I'm so happy I'm not a beta, you know, because <laughs> betas are just not quite as good as alphas, you know, stuff like that. And so they have all, all the different hypnotic suggestions during the night, and this, this is kind of the same thing. And uh, Jamie wakes up, and he hears this, and he doesn't like it at all. You know, he's a, he's a Scotsman. They're a, they're a skeptical lot by nature, I think. He wakes up Ben, and he's telling him what he heard, and he says, It was an evil that spoke so gently, and yet I almost believed what it said. Well, there's bad news here, because it turns out Ben has already been brainwashed. <laughs> uh, you know, ben, Ben's ben been a pretty good stand-up guy from what we've seen of him throughout the series so far, but uh, uh, apparently he doesn't have a strong resistance to subliminal audio during his sleep and one of the things about his character i mean i don't know that he's had a lot of unique character through the story but one thing that's always been there is he's been skeptical of authority right he said things like Mm. oh whoever's in charge is you know they you know he he's been he hasn't been fooled by people in charge and he knows that people in charge have egos and are trying to do their thing so so it's sort of ironic that he's the one who 
totally f- falls for this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, as we'll see, he falls pretty hard for a good while. So Ben finally goes back to sleep, and when he does, this time they bring up the next uh, stage of this technique. Uh, the room begins to fill with sleeping gas. Meanwhile, in another bedroom, uh, Polly is sleeping here, and the doctor comes in, uh, and he pulls out, I think it's a screwdriver. I know yeah. in later Doctor Who, one of the few things I know about the future of Doctor Who is that a screwdriver is going to play an increasingly <laughs> large part in it, but I don't know all the details yet. But here he is, I think it's just like a normal everyday yeah. screwdriver, and uh, there's there's these electronic little doodads on the walls, you know, they're like little speakers or something, and... Uh, uh, he starts wrecking this stuff with a screwdriver, just prying it out of the wall and, you know, making it all spark and smoke and so on. The doctor wakes Polly to make sure, you know, he makes sure that she's not brainwashed. And when he's fairly confident of that, he moves on to Jamie and Ben's room. And in their room, he does the same thing. He takes out the screwdriver and starts screwing up all the electronics Ben is too far gone at this point. He's uh, he's part of the colony now, and he summons the guards. <laughs> Polly and Jamie naturally want to restrain him, uh, but the doctor says violence will get you nowhere. And Polly and Jamie protest, but the doctor says Ben just can't control himself. You know, he's their techniques are advanced enough that this is just the way it is for now, at least. <laughs> and they're just going to have to deal with it. So Ola arrives, the big uh, leader of the guards, and he takes the doctor. And when Jamie insists that he takes orders from no one but the doctor, then he takes Jamie along, too. Mm -hmm. In the hospital, meanwhile, uh, Medoc is getting this uh, hypnotic voice treatment, but it's not working on him. It's trying to tell him there, there are no horrible crab creatures here and you know, stuff stuff like that and it's not taking hold on him so the pilot is observing him and he says well i guess all we can do is send him to the pits for life which uh you know it, there could be some middle ground like maybe we can send him to the pits for a month or two and see what <laughs> happens you know but no pits for life it is the intercom summons the pilot. It's uh, it's about the doctor, and uh, he says he'll come at once. Back in the bedroom, Polly and Ben are alone in the bedroom now. Oh, <laughs> but uh, it turns out that uh, Polly goes out exploring, and Ben protests uh, because he's a good company man now. Mm. Uh, but she's not going to be stopped. So next, they're back at that building site where. Um, the doctor had found Medoc at the end of last episode and beginning in this episode, uh, and where also the crabs had shown up, which is something to keep in mind for just a moment from now. <laughs> ben is looking for Polly here, and he finds her, and he says he's taking her to the guards. But she screams, and Ben turns around to see what she's screaming at, and of course there's nothing there. Uh, at least until there is. And it's, as you may have guessed by now, a giant crab. Uh, it grabs Polly in its claw. And uh, it's a good thing these crab guys are gentle because, I mean, these crabs, they look like they could chop you in half as easily as they could, 
do anything else. He grabs Polly, lifts her up. Ben attacks it with a two-by-four. He did, uh, it, The crab eventually drops Polly. Um, I, I doubt the crabs actually have much in the way of nerve endings in their claws, so I don't know <laughs> if that would actually work, but here it does. The problem now, though, is that while this crab retreats briefly, uh, now a bunch of them are moving in. Meanwhile, uh, in the pilot's office, the doctor and Jamie are here, and uh, the doctor admits to ruining the electronics in the bedrooms, and when he sees the uh, the pilot has a hypno-gadget, too, um, the doctor ruins that, too. You know, one of those wall-mounted speaker-type things. Mm. Um, he, uh, he screws that all up just to do a favor for the pilot because he seems like a nice, cheerful guy. <laughs> Um, and o- Ola, who actually come to think of it, he's he's so uncheerful that I don't really know how he could last any amount of time in the colony, unless it's just through his sheer bullheaded devotion, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, and that's something that would be appreciated by the people who are running the show here. So <laughs> that makes sense, I guess, but. Anyway, he brings Ben and Polly, so they're they're not going to be the cliffhanger themselves. Polly tells everyone about the crabs they saw, but then this is this is a real surprise. Ben <laughs> just outright lies. He says there weren't any of those creatures. Mm. He, uh, you know, he he's been he's been saying, well, you know, this is this is a happy colony. There's nothing <laughs> dangerous here. You know, I. I I don't know. They must have a really good brainwashing program because, <laughs> you know, in, the, in half a night, he got the total treatment there. Mm. So the doctor <clears throat> insists on seeing the controller, not just a picture of him, because that's all they've seen is this still picture. Uh, and the pilot makes the request of control. And uh, I've, I was kind of surprised at this. I would have figured that he'd just say, no, go away. None of your damn business. Go away. <laughs> Um, but no, they they finally put a man on screen, and he looks nothing like the still picture of the controller. This is mm-hmm. a frail old man, and he looks absolutely baffled and confused. In an off-screen voice that I think, if I remember right, is the voice we've heard as the controller, uh, it orders him to speak. Uh, and this guy is just very confused, and so confused that he's taking too long and somebody else in the room with him is getting irritated. And we don't see who that is, but we do see big shadows uh, surrounding this poor old puzzled guy. And they seem to be shadows of large claws and antennae. (laughs) And we see him being knocked down and dragged away. It isn't clear by what, but, uh, you know, we've seen these shadows and maybe glimpses of other things. And Polly says, Doctor, that was it. That thing in the picture, that was the claw. They're in control. (laughs) And that's our cliffhanger for this episode. Yep. So episode three. So Polly yells that the creatures are in control. I don't know how she knows that. I mean, she's just seeing some shadows of claws and stuff. But anyway, she intuits that they're in control. So the pilot tells the pit, which is the control room of the gas mining operation, (laughs) that the crew is being sent to them and they must be put in the danger gang. (laughs) You know, 
you know, I'd like to be in the Danger Gang. It sounds pretty cool, you know. <laughs> it's like the Bloodhound Gang, but even cooler. Yeah. The controller appears on screen and confirms the pilot's order. And the controller says to the pilot, you will forget all that has happened. And I was like, well, that's a little weird because, you know, that's going to be confusing more than anything else if he doesn't remember certain things. You know, but anyway, because it's like other people are going to remember it, you know. Well, <laughs> so, yeah. you know. well that's. You know, we've been talking a lot about some of the big dystopian novels here, and and that's a, that was explicitly mentioned in 1984. <laughs> the idea of double think, you know, mm -hmm. you you believe things or don't as the situation calls for it, you know, and what the party wants from you at that particular time. So, yeah, yeah, it's uh, in keeping with everything else. <laughs> <laughs> so Ben shows up, and the pilot tells him he must serve the colony and keep watch on his friends, and he seems. Happy to do that. Meanwhile, Ola delivers the crew, minus Ben, to the mines. And they learn that this mine is for digging up salt that generates gases that are extremely valuable. And Madoc shows up because he's been thrown out of the hospital and sent to join the danger gang. Hmm. Now, that's <laughs> a weird point. Uh, before they're taken away, Madoc points out that the group is entitled to a supervisor to stay in this control room. Which conveniently allows the doctor to stay in the main room. And I'm like, well, yay for union mm. rules. I mean, why <laughs> Why would the crabs have a rule that says that they could have a supervisor? It's a, okay. Well, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're really committing to this whole uh, healthful happiness yeah. thing, I guess. <laughs> so the rest of the crew is taken away. The doctor is looking around this room. And then Ben shows up to keep an eye on him. And Ben says, the voices tell me what to do. So he's got these voices <laughs> in his head. Yeah, that's I, I, that may have even been a stereotype back then. You know, I mean, <laughs> the, nowadays it's always the voices that we joke about even. You know, the voices must be talking to him again. But uh, actually, this is just an interesting aside because I didn't uh, – it was an uncharacteristic, it was surprising to me. There's a book called uh, The Ordeal of Gilbert Pinfold that, uh, uh, who was Evelyn Waugh wrote mm. it, um, and he wrote Bride, Brideshead mm. Revisited and a whole bunch of neat stuff. But uh, but this, this was about a guy who basically he goes on a trip on a ship or a riverboat, something like that, and starts hearing voices. And I think it's semi-autobiographical, you know, because he ended up taking the wrong kind of chemicals, sort of trying to self-medicate, uh, and it just turned out very badly. <laughs> um, but it was, uh, yeah, it was interesting that this was like an old story, like I'm thinking maybe 1930s or thereabout, and, and it was a known phenomenon even then, so I mean... Uh, it was just interesting. That I'm just rambling. Don't mind me. <laughs> so in the mines, there's a gas strike, uh, which means they've struck too much gas and they can't siphon it all off. And that's going to be a problem. And Madoc's the guy who understands all this. Uh, and Madoc and Polly and Jamie work to move a cable into place to handle the excess gas. And as Madoc is speechifying about the gas, the camera pulls back and we see that a crab is watching them on a monitor. Uh -huh. <laughs> Can't say it's a huge surprise at this point. <laughs> Meanwhile, back in the main room there for the mines, uh, the pit, I guess, uh, the doctor is writing a complex formula on a glass whiteboard. 
And, uh, <laughs> you know, this is, uh, this is definitely a Troughton here. It's, you know, he's very pleased with the results of his formula. So on the whiteboard, he gives himself a 10 out of 10 uh, score. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is cute. Then the pilot enters and asks where the doctor found this formula because he immediately recognizes it. It's like a secret formula. And the doctor says, well, in my head. <laughs> the pilot doesn't believe him. He doesn't believe that within a few moments the doctor could work out this formula that took their computers years to perfect. And he's sure that the doctor broke into their secret files. And the doctor's like, oh, wow, well, I was that good. And he now changes it to give himself an 11 out of 10 uh, score. <laughs> And he explains to the pilot that he used the dials on the consoles in this room to work all this out. And the pilot makes the doctor wipe away the formula. And back in the mines, they are probing, which means they're looking for more gas, even though they already have practically more gas than they can deal with, right? But no matter what, you know, they keep finding more. <laughs> Meanwhile, Jamie finds a locked door. And then I think it's Barney. Sometimes I get a little confused about who Barney is or isn't. But anyway, it's a guy we've seen before. He wears glasses. And uh, the oh, whole... I, th I think he's like the pit boss. Isn't yeah, he? I'm not sure okay. if he's Barney or not. I was confused about it, but he was. He is the boss around here. He plays around with the hose that they secured in order to get the excess gas to to run off, and he insists they don't know what they're doing, and he sort of disconnects the hose, and the gas knocks him out. <laughs> so Jamie then takes keys from his pocket. And uh, Ben takes him away, Barney, or the pit boss, Barney, whoever he is, he takes him away <laughs> to be taken care of. But Polly and Jamie don't know if Ben saw Jamie take the keys. But Jamie then goes and unlocks that door he saw and heads off into a corridor. Then there's an alarm that indicates someone has escaped and Madoc goes to find Jamie. And Barney tries to figure out what happened. He realizes his keys are gone. Ben says he must have dropped them. So right now we don't know, like, is Ben saying what he thinks happened, or is he making an excuse? Right. Yeah, is he covering for them, maybe recovering from the brainwashing? Yeah. That's yeah, ambiguous. So Barney calls for guards to search for the escapees, and he says the guards may have to go on forbidden ground. Mm-hmm. Madoc approaches the door. He calls out to Jamie to see if he's nearby, and he turns and sees something and yells, and... Uh, don't worry, I'm sure he's going to be fine. <laughs> <laughs> then uh, Control appears on the screen to Barney and Doctor and the Doctor and Ben, saying that no one is granted permission to go on forbidden ground. So he's reversing that order. And Ben now admits to the Doctor that he saw Jamie take the keys. And the Doctor says he always knew that Ben was a tough cookie. So he realizes he's probably recovering. But Ben is still struggling, and he struggles with whether he should report Jamie to control or not. Meanwhile, Jamie is running through corridors, running through corridors being the name of Toby's book, uh, <laughs> he did with the, uh, the guy uh, 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 um, and he finds Madoc's goggles on the ground, so not not a good sign. Uh, and then crab-like creatures approach him, and he runs off. And meanwhile, in a lab, the doctor is experimenting with a chemical mixture. And Ben is struggling with his conditioning. He's saying, what about my friends? Uh, Jamie encounters, and obviously we're just, you know, doing these different shots going back and forth between scenes. Jamie encounters more crab creatures. And uh, the emergency alarms saying that Jamie has escaped stop. And we hear that this is because Jamie is doomed. There's, you know, <laughs> the alarms <laughs> stop when they know there's nothing he can do. 
And Ben reports to the pilot that Jamie is in the old shaft. And uh, the controller now appears on screen and says, no one is to enter the old shaft. And I was like, uh, that's what she said? I don't know. <laughs> uh, but anyway, the con- it's, it's kind of weird. You're like, well, people are trying to do their job and chase down these people. The controller keeps telling them they can't go into these areas. So it's a little, a little <laughs> conflict here. Uh, and the doctor points out to Polly that the controller is not pouring poisonous gas into the old shaft to kill Jamie. So... You know, for some reason, they don't want poisonous gas in that shaft. The doctor says the macro have come up to the surface, but they don't have enough gas in the atmosphere of the surface to live, so they need it pumped up from down below. And Polly says, well, then why divert the gas to the old shaft? And the doctor says, that's obvious, because there's something down there they want to keep alive. (laughs) Which just turns out to be more macro, as far as I can (laughs) tell. Jamie is going along a shaft as the gas increases and he coughs. And the controller says to increase the pressure. Uh, the doctor now thinks he's, you know, he's been trying to figure out how this gas flow all works and he thinks he has it worked out now. Meanwhile, Jamie comes to the end of a smoky corridor. He sees a crab like creature coming upon him and it's the end of the episode. <laughs> all right. Fourth and final episode. Uh, in the pit control room, the Polly and the doctor discuss what's going on with Jamie. The doctor doesn't know what exactly, but he doubts it's good. Uh, he has an idea, but he doesn't know the mechanics of the pipe system well enough to be sure how to implement it, which is funny because, you know, all that formula he was writing on the on the whiteboard or the clear board... Uh, he he did all that just by looking at the dials and mm. you know deducing from those. But uh, when it comes to the switches and levers, apparently he still uh, still hasn't mastered all that stuff yet. And while they're talking, Jamie goes to hide down in the mine shafts, hide from some macker that are hunting him down. The doctor bamboozles the pit boss uh, into revealing the inflow and outflow controls by. He comes close to fiddling with them, but uh, uh, doesn't actually. So uh, the doctor is uh, doing some fast talking here. And uh, here's the, an example that I thought was kind of fun. And the doctor tells tells him, ridiculous, well, that's as may be. But after all, three times three is nine. And if you divide by half of its own cubic capacity to the formula pi over four squared, I think you'll have to agree with me. <laughs> and I should here make my obligatory mention of uh, my thanks to the Chrissy's transcript site, which uh, uh, has diligently recorded all this dialogue, so I didn't <laughs> have to. So Polly asked the doctor what he's doing, and uh, he says, it's all right, Polly. Confusion is best left to the experts. <laughs> so he, he does have some fun lines throughout these uh, these episodes. But the doctor then goes on to tell, uh, tell this pit boss guy... Uh, that uh, I think you'll find I've revolutionized the entire gas flow of the colony. <laughs> Which uh, sounds uh, vaguely ominous in some ways. But uh, but the doctor then, uh, once Polly reports the new readouts on the dials, the doctor says there'll be a fine old gale of fresh air blowing along the old shaft <laughs> any time now. Which... Uh, which they hope will save Jamie. There isn't anything they can do to help him directly, but hopefully this will give him a fighting chance at least. Mm. 
he gets Jamie. That is, gets in trouble with uh, with the macra. Uh, first, first they drag him out of hiding. Then there's a cave in of this salt that's generating the gas that's so important to the macra. And uh, the pit boss calls for guards, but the doctor has swiped his keys, so that buys him a little bit of time because they can lock the guards out for a moment. The fresh air, meanwhile, is flooding the mines and. Jamie revives while the macra get weaker uh, from lack of gas. The guards are pounding on the door. We see it shuddering in the animation, and uh, they're they're breaking it down or knocking it off the hinges or some such thing. But uh, before they can get in, the doctor and Polly duck out through another door, and they go to close this door and lock it, uh, which entails a little bit of a pushing contest with the guards, which... Uh, it, it was probably less than a minute, but it seemed to take an eternity for me for some reason. It just seemed like it would have <laughs> But eventually they do manage to close it uh, and lock it. Uh, so then they're temporarily safe, at least. And they're in a room with some pipes mounted to the wall, you know, kind of like the like the Nostromo on Alien, actually, is <laughs> kind of what it made me think of. All those pipes running along the walls and... Uh, they begin following these pipes to see where they go because they don't. They can't go back the way they came now because the guards will be waiting for them. Meanwhile, Jamie finally gets up out of the mines and uh, he goes through a little vent opening type thing and he ends up in a rehearsal room for this group that is the cheerleaders for the uh, for the workers. You know, they the workers. This is such a happy place. The workers actually have their own cheerleaders. Not the pit workers so much, but the normal workers, at least. They get cheerleaders. We don't see the drum majorette outfits, but these may even be the same people that we saw when, when they all first arrived at the colony. So Jamie tries to sneak through the room while they're all distracted with rehearsing their cheers, but they, they notice him, uh, and they assume that he's a dancer here to audition. So he does his little dance. He's got his kilt on and everything still. So he does a traditional Scottish dance, and the leader <laughs> says, that's very good. What do you call it? And Jamie calls it the Highland Fling. And the leader asks why he calls it that. And Jamie says, because we finish the dance by flinging ourselves out the door. <laughs> <laughs> Except that outside the door are guards, and not only guards, but also Ola and Ben. Um, and Ben confirms that Jamie is one of the escaped strangers. Now, I doubt Ola needed much confirmation, but, uh, it always helps, I guess. And Ben then seems a little remorseful over this latest betrayal. You know, he, uh, he seems to be having second thoughts about whether he should have done that or not. Meanwhile, following those pipes... The doctor and Polly find this round viewing window, like a porthole, uh, that lets them look into a room. It's full of gas, and it's full of the macra, the big crab creatures. Yeah, what, what amuses me here is that they're not just like monsters, you know, roaming around a room. They're like attending to the equipment and looking at monitors. I mean, <laughs> these are very mm -hmm. intelligent crabs. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, they're no... Uh, no slouches. And, uh, you know, I got to give them credit the way they've managed this colony up to this point, <clears throat> up until the disruption caused by the doctor and his companions. Uh, it's been clever, and it's 
you know, I I hate to give the benefit of the doubt to authoritarian, <laughs> totalitarian types, but, uh, you know, they've been relatively humane as totalitarians go. Yeah. So, uh, you know. That's that's not that's not an excuse, just an <laughs> observation. But, so anyway, after a moment of watching, they see one of the crabs makes an announcement as the controller in the controller's voice. So not only does that demonstrate once and for all that the controller is uh, is a crab, but also uh, the content of this announcement indicates that the macra need the gas to live. It, doesn't mention the macro, of course, but it makes it pretty obvious that that's the ulterior motive for the, all this gas mining stuff. Polly suggests to the doctor that they bring the pilot here and show him. And if I were on the spot there, I wouldn't think it. I would think it was a real far-fetched plan. But the doctor thinks it'll work, so that's what they do. And back at the pilot's office. Uh, Ola has brought Jamie uh, as his latest prisoner, um, but he's also kind of getting into it with the pilot. He's criticizing him pretty forthrightly. It's a real little tiff they're having, and uh, just then the doctor and Polly walk in, and the the doctor is at his most charming. You know, he's getting in the spirit of the colony here, mm. being just excessively cheerful to ingratiate himself, presumably. Um, he greets Ben and asks him if he's feeling more his old self, and Ben Ben says he is. So maybe you know, maybe that's a sign that he's starting to finally recover from the brainwashing. And I think also this was at the time it seemed like kind of a throwaway thing, but I think it might explain or help to explain some of the subsequent events here because remember we had mentioned that the the doctor, after sabotaging all those wall speakers with the subliminal audio and so forth, when he came into the pilot's office and confessed that he'd done that, he did the same damn thing to the pilot's <laughs> uh, audio mm -hmm. output. So I'm wondering if maybe the pilot has already been slightly weakened by the lack of the hypnosis device in there. Makes sense. That's just a possibility, but it, yeah, it, it could explain what otherwise is a somewhat implausible change <laughs> in direction. Although, then again, it could just be the man, the pilot is like a guy of innate, solid character. I don't know. There's a lot of possibilities. And, uh, you know, honestly, having seen three and a fraction seasons of this show, um, Sometimes you don't want to overthink it too much. <laughs> so, so uh, anyway, the pilot uh, asks Ola why his guards didn't arrest these strangers because they're wanted. Ola says, I don't know, guards arrest them. <laughs> the pilot says, that's no longer necessary. The doctor says, of course not. You can't arrest us. Now we've given ourselves up. That's against the rules. <laughs> and I, d I very much doubt that he knows all the rules or that that's even one of them. But, uh, you know, he, he seems to have a gift for making up rules that sound plausible or at least appeal to these people's uh, tastes. Mm -hmm. So he gets away with it again. 
But when the doctor wants to take the pilot with him to show him something, Control bursts in on the intercom, and Control, of course, we now know is giant crabs. <laughs> uh, they burst in on the intercom to order everyone, and they specifically mention the pilots as included in this order. Everyone is to get back to work immediately. Uh, Control says, arrest the strangers. That is an order. All the strangers. <laughs> and Ben says, that doesn't sound like a man in control. <laughs> so uh, I think Ben may be getting the final uh, final breaking down of his uh, brainwashing here. Mm -hmm. Ola orders his guards to arrest everyone, but the pilot is still the big guy, and he exerts his, his authority. Ola and the guards are go to go to their quarters, but but Ola says, "Oh, I'll, yeah." He says basically, he says, "I'll get you." Yeah. <laughs> uh, but for the moment, the pilot can move freely still. So Ben, pilot, the Ben and the pilot and the doctor leave. Jamie and Polly stay in the pilot's office. Ben and the others get to the round window once again, that porthole where mm -hmm. they have to go through the. The pit control, then the pipe room, then this round window that looks into the controller's room, which is populated by giant crabs and poisonous <laughs> gas. The pilot now sees the truth, and he realizes they must be killed. Everything he's been told is a lie. Back in the pit boss room, when they all return to that, uh, Ola is waiting. Pilot tells him that the macra are uh, monsters, but, but Ola doesn't want to hear it. And Control cuts in, and he orders Ola to lock the companions, uh, minus Ben, because Ben isn't anywhere to be seen right now, and the, and the pilot in the, in the pipe room, uh, at least for four minutes. So the, the people who will be locked in the pipe room, it's the, uh, the doctor, I, I think it's the, the doctor, Polly, Jamie, and the pilot, if I remember right. But... Uh, four minutes is significant because this is how long Control expects it's going to take to kill them with the poisonous gas from the mines. Yeah, and I think he has another order here. I think Control says, like, everybody else needs to go into the, you know, entertainment room or whatever you call it. And, and Yeah, he sends, he sends the general population to the main hall for, uh, you know, a little, little rest and relaxation with songs and dancing and all that. All the things that make this colony so great. But he's not going to poison them. It's just it's just he wants me to make sure everybody is completely out of the way for four minutes while this gassing takes place. But outside the paper room, Ben is out there. He's uh, He's been hiding, I guess, or just lurking. And he talks to the doctor through the door, and in a sequence that's supposed to be suspenseful, but really isn't very suspenseful. <laughs> the doctor guides Ben through... Uh, there are two switches and one lever that all have to be activated to blow up the explosive. Not only is the gas poisonous, it also, I guess, is explosive under the right circumstances. Uh, so they're going to blow that up in the in the controller's room, the room they can see through the round window, or could see through the round window. This reminds me a little bit of... Uh, have you ever seen Mystery Men? No, we talked about it a couple of times. Mm. Yeah, it's it's one of my favorites, actually. Not not top ten favorites, but I I really love it. I watch it every few years. And uh, 
there's a scene where uh, one of the big heroes, uh, the, the big hero of this champion city, uh, is uh, is imprisoned in the bad guy's basement, and he has to guide our less experienced heroes through the the switches and levers that they have to pull to rescue him, and uh, yeah, it it doesn't turn out great. <laughs> But it reminded me of that a little bit, uh, except in this case, it does turn out great. While Ben is and the doctor are doing all this, working out all the details, uh, the controller, that is to say the giant crab, uh, he's protesting over the intercom all the while, you know, and he, he re- resorts to various little tactics like, <laughs> uh, oh, well, uh, you know, this will increase the pressure to deadly levels for all the human beings in the colony, you know, stuff like that, you know, he's... Yeah, clever in his desperation. And mm-hmm. uh, I can't help but think it would be nice if they could have had a happy ending for this. <laughs> like, uh, you know, they say, you know, we'll devote some people to just, you know, digging up the gas that you guys need to survive. But uh, you've got to be better. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. I don't know. But no, that's not how it works out. They they blow up the controller's room and the macro menace is, uh, is done for. So, back in that big hall uh, where we saw the Majorettes in episode one, uh, we see them again, and we hear the catchy, cheesy, creepy music again. But now the pilot is fully in charge, and presumably everyone is fully unbrainwashed, but this they still like this music. So, you know, it, it's a, it may be a Pyrrhic victory. In some ways, because uh, they're not controlled by giant crab monsters anymore, but uh, but they've developed some bad habits. So <laughs> so the future of the colony, we don't know what's gonna what the future is going to hold. At the moment, at least, everybody's happy and celebrating. The pilot announces that every year there'll be a dance festival in the stranger's memory and the winners <laughs> will be awarded the stranger's trophy. They, they never did bother to actually learn their names. It's uh, yeah, they may be happy and healthy, but they're not terribly hospitable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we see that the doctor's just sitting off in the corner relaxing, but he gets less relaxed when Ben tells him that, uh, they're going to draft all the companions as members of the colony, and they're going to make the doctor the next pilot. <laughs> the doctor says, they can't do that to me. Let's get out of here. Ben asks him how. And now this part, the last, the last part that was audible in the animation was Ben's yes, but how? And after that, the music just swelled, you know, that cheesy music. Mm-hmm. But according to the script on uh, Chrissy's transcript site, there's one final line where the doctor says, take a leaf out of Jamie's book, give him the old dance routine. Then there's a stage direction that says the doctor, Polly, Jamie, and Ben dance enthusiastically, slowly moving closer to the door. But we don't see that in the animation. We just hear the music swell and we see sort of a zoom out of the colony building sitting high on a cliff. And to me, it was really a uh, a little bit sinister ending because even though the doctor has gotten rid of the bad guys once again, 
you know, and the people have a chance to determine their own future and so forth. We've still got, you know, we don't know if those old habits are going to die or, <laughs> or do they even have any history books that might tell them about things like, uh, you know, the Enlightenment or uh, the idea of human rights or <laughs> capitalism, any anything that might uh, come in handy at some point. So I don't know. It's certainly an uncommonly ambiguous ending, at least to me it seemed, uh, for, for a Doctor Who story arc. So uh, uh, kind of neat, I thought. Yeah, and that's the end of the end of this uh, four episode series here. Well, one of the other things that that was a little weird, especially related to future Doctor Who, is normally later on, at least, the Doctor would be sympathetic to the aliens or the you know whatever, and would say, "Oh, we can't kill them," you know, et cetera. But in the, but at this point, it was still the Doctor's like, oh, they're Oh, they're intelligent. They're doing all these things. They can, you know, they can run equipment and, you know, manipulate the entire colony. But it's okay. Let's just kill them all. <laughs> so. uh, yeah, that did occur to me. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, another case where uh, the pacifist doctor is uh, situationally pacifist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and also, weirdly, there's this debate. So um, a colleague slash friend of mine uh really gets into this where the whole idea like of lobsters like when you know so typically the way that you cook a lobster is you get it live and you put mm -hmm. it in a pot of boiling water and there's a debate about whether this is cruelty whether they can feel pain right. chefs will say well if you do this to their cranium beforehand they won't feel pain etc and it's you know people yeah. have disputed that and I'm currently on the doctor's side. I just go ahead and eat them anyway. But uh, but like my <laughs> friend and others feel that this is a, a cruel thing. So yeah. Well, I mean, I I definitely eat them. But uh, but if there is like some nerve that you can sever or whatever, you know, then why not? You know, why not give <laughs> the poor guys the benefit of the doubt at least? Interestingly, for better or for worse, we've probably gone through it's a four episode story. We've probably gone through it almost twice as fast as we usually do these. We've done thirty some <laughs> Doctor Who stories now, and uh, uh, we're pretty much just telling the story. Now, you mentioned you had a comment about that. Uh, well, yeah, um, it's it's kind of surprising that we zipped through it. I mean, that this is like so many Doctor Who stories we've seen so far. It's a uh, it's got a lot of padding. It's got a lot of filler. I mean, this this could even probably have been knocked down to like a half hour Twilight Zone type episode, <laughs> or I mean, probably uh, probably more like a forty five fifty minute thing would mm -hmm. be more appropriate. But four whole episodes, you know, like so many Doctor Who series, you know, this uh, uh, it was a little bloated. Uh, but beyond that, though, it uh, I really enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. um, as far as Doctor Who goes, um, it's for me at least. Uh, my initial reaction is it's one of the better ones I've mm -hmm. seen. One of the ones I've enjoyed more, at least. Mm -hmm. um, so I'd uh, I'd put it uh, I'd, I'd put it fairly high up in my rankings. I think I don't know that I'd. 
necessarily drag a friend to the couch <laughs> to watch it, but uh, you know, it's a it's it's definitely one of the better ones for me, one of the more entertaining ones at least. And like I said, that that whole creepy forced cheerfulness, brave new world atmosphere and the ambiguous ending where we don't know if that's going to go on in perpetuity under human management. Uh, a lot of interesting things about it, I think. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I'd give it a thumbs up. I don't know if I'd uh, force anybody to watch it, but uh, <laughs> I'd, I'd, uh, I'd say this is one of the Doctor Who shows I've liked better uh, so far. Well, for me, this being my first introduction to the stories, I really knew nothing about the story. And I was really surprised when it starts out with, like, people doing, you know, cheerleading routines and stuff. Uh, I'm somewhat mixed in that I really like the wackiness of the idea that these giant crabs are controlling things, you know, and they're not mindless (laughs) monsters. I mean, one of the problems in Doctor Who over the decades is that so often the monsters are just kind of these mindless monsters, right? And mm-hmm. um, and so these are intelligent and they're controlling everything. And I, I think that's really funny uh, and, and it, it amuses me. Uh, my criticism would be the characters are all pretty generic. I mean, you know, nobody stands out the way some of the better characters in, in previous stories have. Um, uh, I mean, I had... And I disagree a little with that. I mean, the uh, Ola is, uh, well, he's a huge asshole. And <laughs> he's got, at least in the animation, he's got a very distinctive look that kind of suits the mm. guy who's the chief of security being a huge asshole. Um, and then the pilot, uh, to me at least, you know, I mean, certainly some of his forbearance and cheerfulness and all that is just cultural conditioning and whatnot. But uh, when he goes to help, you know, he goes with the doctor at the end and checks things out, uh, that suggests to me that there might actually be a little bit of actual backbone in him, too. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. There's a, there's there's some uh, interesting characters here, at least. Not not the most fascinating ever, <laughs> but, uh, you know, there's... Some some good moments, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I think, I mean, I'm probably, I'm less positive than you, uh, you know, on this first watching. You know, we I guess what I'd say in terms of characters, we don't have anyone yelling, you know, nothing on earth can stop me now. Or, uh, <laughs> 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 um, yeah. Although, you know, now that you mentioned that, when the, when the crab controller uh, was getting desperate. There were a couple different times that that he started to sort of crack and show us. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's crab true. shell. Yeah, I, yeah I um, <laughs> and I would have liked a little more of that. But yeah, I agree with that. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, again, I I like the concept of the story, and and you know, it's it's definitely one where you you can't predict where it's going <laughs> when you start watching it. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. And there, there was a lot of the trite stuff, you know, oh, there's this magic gas that the crabs need. And, you know, yeah. there, there's a lot of typical Doctor Who shenanigans going on, but, uh, it was still fun. And that's, that's the bottom line is what did I enjoy watching it? And <laughs> I, I did, uh, yeah. quite a bit. 
I thought, you know, the use of the 1984 tropes uh, and the Brave New World tropes is pretty well done. And the fact that they managed to have a reason for the big brother sort of character to be, you know, non, um, not actually visibly speaking and all that. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, I thought that was pretty cool. So, uh, yeah, so there's a lot of interesting stuff in here. Uh, I'm really glad that they animated it. I think that, you know, it would be, it would be tough probably as a, as a reconstruction just cause, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It would part, it would partly depend on how many pictures they have from the original right. show, I guess. And the other side of that is the animation, no doubt was able to portray the crabs, you know, much more dynamically than they probably could in reality. So oh, yeah. On the one hand, we probably missed some really silly crab shots, uh, uh, but on the other hand, we got a little more probably realistic or, you know, believable portrayal of the story. <laughs> yeah. There are moments when they're, when they're genuinely imposing, I didn't really mention it, but, uh, they've got these sort of, uh, vertical mandibles that have these giant fangs in them and they're, they're really, uh, and they've got these glowing eyes, kind of like, uh, something you'd see in an angler fish or something. <laughs> uh, they're they're uh yeah they're kind of creepy looking um and the fact that they also seem to have a, a quite a bit of intelligence to go with that is just kind of uh, <laughs> yeah it's a little weird makes how, it more scary how crabs you know, like, would have an understanding of the psychology of humans <laughs> yeah yeah i mean uh i guess i guess technically they have a sort of opposable thumb <laughs> you know in their claws but uh uh, you know, the, how the evolution worked out in that, uh, is not entirely clear. Right. <laughs> okay. So, uh, it's the overall a mostly positive, uh, review of this one. And it's yeah. nice because we've, had, we've For had me, it was worth watching. Yeah. We had a little bit of slogging here, so it's good. To, good to have something like that. Uh, next yeah. up is the almost completely missing the faceless ones. And I do not know if they animated them all or if they leave in. There's like, it's six episodes. There's two that exist. Uh, so we'll see. Cause we've seen like in the reign of terror when they switch back and forth to the live action. <clears throat> we also saw that in, um, the underwater menace. I'm, I'm always a mixed feelings when they switch back and forth. Cause it can be nice to see the live action and see what it really looked like. But I, Mm-hmm. My default is to prefer, like, if you're going to animate it, animate it, right? And, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's that's reasonable, but I think where the original video exists, I would prefer to see the original <laughs> video. That That's just my, you know, I'd, I'd like to, I mean, they took the trouble to film it. We took the trouble to watch it. So let's <laughs> <laughs> let's get the... Original source material when we can. That's that's what I would think. But I can see where you're coming from, so <laughs> I'm not going to give you too much hassle about that. Well, this is another story I know nothing about, so we'll see what we think when we get there next week. All right. All right. 